Our meditation this evening is on the Eighth Commandment, and so we'll begin tonight by reading together the words of the Eighth Commandment, together with the explanation that Dr. Luther attaches to it in his small catechism. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, or give him a bad name, but defend him, speak well of him, and take his words and actions in the kindest possible way. Why does God give us his commandments? It's a question that we've asked a couple of times as we've made our way through this series, and it's one that I think you've been maybe, if you're anything like me, trained to answer. God gives us the commandments to keep us from sinning by threatening us punishment if we should break them. He gives us the commandments to show us our sinfulness and our need for a savior. And he gives us the commandments to to guide us as Christians to live lives of thankful service to him. Those three reasons God gives us the law or the three uses for the law are three uses that I teach in catechism. They're the three uses that I learned when I was a student in catechism, the curb, the mirror, and the guide. But I've also told you my favorite way to look at the commandments isn't as a curb or a mirror or a guide, but as a set of treasure chests treasure chest that God gives us to guard these very precious gifts that he has for us. And I'm not sure if I'm being inventive in saying that and coming up with a fourth use. I'm certainly not the only pastor who's talked about them as treasure chests either. I think maybe it fits under the use of a guide, that God gives us these commandments to guide us into seeing these precious gifts that he's given us and to guide us into seeing how we can make use of them and enjoy them and enjoy the fullest life that we possibly can have. And so the treasure chest and the guide maybe go hand in hand. Regardless, let's talk about the treasure chest in front of us tonight, the Eighth Commandment. And feel free to answer. What gift is God protecting by giving us the Eighth Commandment? It's safe, I promise. When God says, do not give false testimony against your neighbor, what is he trying to protect? Ron. Okay, a good name or a reputation. I think that's the the clearest one to me as I look at this. Maybe secondarily we can say, He's protecting our gift of speech and just helping us to see what we're supposed to do with the words that come out of our mouth. But a good name, a good reputation, that seems to me to be far and above the the gift that God is holding out to us here with the Eighth Commandment and, and inviting us to, commanding us to protect it. So why is a good reputation such a valuable gift? In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, King Solomon writes that a good name is better than a fine perfume. And later in Proverbs, he writes, a good name 
is more valuable than great riches. It is to be desired more than silver and gold. But why? What is it about a reputation, a good reputation, that makes it so valuable? Why is it something that we want to have? Again, please feel free to answer. Why do we want a good name? Ron. It's a foundation on which you build the rest of your life. Okay, a reputation is a foundation, Ron said, on which we can build the rest of our life. And I think specifically the relationships that fill our life. Right? A good name, a good reputation might be one of the more attractive things about a person. If they have a bad reputation, then we're not attracted to them. Right? A, a good name is the basis on which we respect somebody and put our trust in them. It opens up all kinds of channels for love and for communication, the kinds of openings that even money can't buy. A good name, a good reputation is necessary for us as Christians to carry out the great commission that Jesus has given us. Right? And when we get to that point and we start to think about it, now the Eighth Commandment, it really becomes a soul thing, a spiritual thing, because me having a good reputation is a necessary thing for me to be able to witness to other people about Jesus and for them to give me the time of day to listen and to hear what I have to say so God can work in their heart. And if I go around trashing the reputation of all of my Christian friends, then that might impact their ability to witness their faith to others makes them less reputable, means fewer souls are saved. So we want to protect the gift of reputation. And how do we do that? God speaks pretty simply in the commandment. He says, don't give false testimony. But what does that mean? I think that we can look at those words, don't give false testimony, in two different ways. I think that we can look at them in a narrow sense in a broad sense. In a narrow sense, what God is strictly speaking of when he first gave that commandment is a situation where someone is brought into a courtroom, they're brought before a judge, and another person is brought in to testify. And in that situation, the Christian who is asked to bear witness has not just the reputation of the person on trial, but their own reputation on the line. It's vital for both reputations that they don't perjure themselves, that they tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Right? And so they must not bear false testimony. They must not speak falsely when that other person is on trial. But I think there's a much broader sense as Jesus reaffirms these commandments for us, and we can bring into the Eighth Commandment all of the things that he's told us about loving our neighbors, about being faithful friends, about using the words that come out of our mouth to build up instead of to tear down. And then I think in a broad sense, we can say that when God forbids us giving false testimony, what he's forbidding really is any words, whether they're true or false, that are spoken f with evil or hateful intentions. And we can break those down into categories, what those words might be. Luther breaks them down for us in the explanation. 
He talks about things like slander. Slander would be when we say false things about somebody with the express intent of damaging their reputation, often to try and boost our own. And then Luther also talks about gossip, and gossip kind of goes in two directions. One is betraying someone, maybe they've told you a secret. The other is just saying something about someone that's going to be damaging to their reputation. And I think when it, between the two of them, gossip and slander, slander is often much more deliberate. Right? We talked about you're doing it to tear down somebody's reputation. So there's, there's meditated thought going into it ahead of time. I'm telling a lie about this person that I know is not true to hurt them. It's not hard to see when we stop and think that this is coming from hateful and evil intentions. Or maybe it's not a lie that I invented. Maybe it's something I heard about them, and I'm not certain if it's true or not, but I can see that it's going to help me by hurting them, so I'm going to share it without even checking to see if it's true, and then I think we're just as guilty as if we'd come up with the lie in the first place ourselves. But gossip is much more sneaky. Someone tells you a secret, and they ask you not to tell anybody, but it's really exciting news. And you just want to share it because it's exciting and you want other people to know, so you go and you tell somebody else, but you ask them not to tell anybody because that's what someone had already asked you. And maybe you didn't set out to, to hurt that other person, but in your thoughtlessness, in your carelessness, you broke their trust. It may come back to, to hurt them, and that's no good for your own reputation. It isn't really loving to the person who told you the secret. And if it's not loving, then what would we call it? So you may not feel like I did this because I hate that person. You may not come out and admit I hate that person, but isn't what we're doing when we betray someone's confidence hateful towards them? If we're in a casual conversation and you just bring up something about another person, but the fact about that person that you bring up isn't something that builds up and, and helps their reputation, but it's something that, that maybe hurts it? You might not come out and say, I hate this person. They might even be your friend. But it's not loving to say things about people that bring their reputation down. And if it's not loving, it's hateful. So we want to be careful and watch out that we aren't saying hateful things about our neighbors. And neighbor could be anyone. It could be a spouse, could be a friend, a child, or a student, a co-worker, your boss. We need to think before we speak to make sure that the words that we're saying are only loving and not hateful. Bambi's mom, not Bambi's mom, Thumper's mom, in Bambi, maybe has the best advice for us to remember. If you can't say anything nice, then it's better not to say anything at all. But we can say nice things. 
right? There's a passage in Ephesians 4 where God tells us this. He says, don't let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. So when we talk to other people, when we talk about other people, we want to consider each other's needs. What does the person whom you are talking to need? And how can you build them up and help them? What does the person that you are talking about need? How can you help them? How can you build them up through the things that you say about them? I'm reminded of the prayer that Pastor Borman prays before each of his sermons. It comes from the Psalms. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What if that was a prayer that we started every day with? Lord, may the words of my mouth please you. What if it's a prayer that we pray as we see somebody and we're walking up and we know we're about to talk to them? Lord, may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. That's what we want. That's, that is our prayer to help us to protect their reputations. I've been going through the Eighth Commandment this week in catechism class with our sixth graders. And yesterday morning, I put a passage up on the screen, and then I lost about half of the class period because they had all these questions about this, this one verse. And here it is. He who covers an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. And the idea is that gossiping destroys relationships. When an offense is caused and we continue telling everybody about what that person did that was offensive, it destroys their reputation and then that in turn can destroy relationships, even relationships amongst close friends. But where we got derailed in sixth grade was that beginning part about covering over an offense. Well, what's an offense? Somebody does something that's offensive to you. We had the example in class, maybe somebody says a joke about your mom, or maybe somebody spits at you. Those are both pretty offensive things. What are you going to do? The proverb there says we cover it up. We cover it up so that nobody else finds out about it. And that did not sit right with my sixth grade friends. Oh, they had all kinds of other suggestions about what we could do. Punch them in the face. Say a joke back about their mom. Tell everybody else what a rotten person they are so that nobody will hang out with them. That's not just sixth grade nature. That's our human nature. Pastor, you can't actually be telling us that the Bible says we should just let it go. Well, it's not just what our God tells us to do. It's what our God did. And thankfully, the next slide, I had another passage, a passage from 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'd like to share that one with you too. Christ suffered for you leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself 
to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. It's a pretty incredible passage as it points us to our Savior, Jesus. It shows us that he is an example for us to follow in, in not retaliating and covering up offenses in protecting the reputations of those around us. But he's way more than an example. He's also our substitute. Because while we have broken this commandment time and time again, he never did. He kept it perfectly, and he kept it perfectly for you so that he could submit his record in your place. But in order to do that, he had to take your record on himself. And so he bore our sins in his body on the cross, and he paid the punishment for them there. He put our sin to death in his body on the cross so that you and I, being connected to him now through the Spirit, through the washing of the Spirit, through the Word, now we might live with him in righteousness. God gives us amazing gifts. And he protects those gifts with his Ten Commandments. And our reputation, our neighbor's reputation, certainly are not the least of those gifts. But this, the salvation and forgiveness that our Savior Jesus won for us at the cross, friends, that is the greatest gift of all. And so to him be all glory and honor and praise and thanksgiving today and forever. Amen? Amen. Amen.